Welcome to Legend Lore with Luis and Lauren, where we talk about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I'm Luis, and I'm a senior developer at Paizo working on the Pathfinder Lost Omens line. I've been playing tabletop RPGs for over 15 years, and I've written for dozens of Pathfinder products. I'm also co-host of No Direction, the GM for Valiant, and I write the Monster Physique blog here on the No Direction Network. And I'm Lauren. I've been playing RPGs for 20 years. I've contributed to multiple Pathfinder blogs and podcasts, and I'm currently a graduate student in the field of animal intelligence. And this week, we're talking about the Magus. Now, before we get started, we want to say that although we know a lot about what we're talking about when it comes to Pathfinder, we want to remind you that we're not providing any kind of official answers. We're here to offer advice, and you can use that how you, however you like. Remember that the official word from Paizo is the only official ruling out there. But don't forget, it's your game. Do what works best for your table. Luis, do you remember real in the early days, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when you first started role-playing games like this, do you remember, like, you'd pick the fighter and your friend would pick the wizard, and, and you'd be fighting and you'd be awesome in combat, but they'd cast a cool spell and you'd be like, man, I kind of regret that I didn't pick wizard. Did you have that? Did you ever have that? Um, I wasn't so much feeling, you know, wizard FOMO, magic FOMO at all. I personally am more inclined to the martial classes than I am the spellcasters. So for me, it's just like, look at that. That's cool. And I've had a lot of experience with my fellow players being spellcasters that set me up to do my own cool thing. So I've, I've had good spellcasters help me out in a lot of cases. Well, I know that for myself and for a lot of other players out there, they want to just do all the things. Mm-hmm. It's kind, you know, and, and even in like a lot of video games, they're built so that you can do all the things available to you. One prime example of that is look at like look at games like Fable, right? Where mm-hmm. you probably have some level of martial prowess, but then you're also going to have some level of spell prowess. Or Skyrim, I think, has that or happen Skyrim. a lot. Skyrim, yeah. Except not me. I never do that. I always just go with, like, big two-handed fighter or uh, sneaky rogue. I have to specifically go out of my way to be like, I'm going to be a spellcaster this time to even consider using magic for things. I'm a very, I'm a purist when it comes to things. I'm a bad example for this whole situation. <laughs> you really are. You're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> now, Skyrim, and Skyrim is particularly fun to take mm-hmm. an illusionist because it starts out so weak and then it just becomes stupid overpowered. Oh. Oh, actually, I have one example in which I did do this, actually. Okay. In Mass Effect. This isn't fantasy. Oh, yeah, that's but, good. That's but, good. But Biotics is very much psychic magic, just reskinned. Uh, and I had a soldier who also had some biotic power so she could make her biotic shield and lift people up here and there. And that was all to facilitate her shooting people in the face. Uh, but, you know, that's still a combination of magic and stuff like that. Nice. Well, this is what I think makes the Magus so interesting, mm-hmm. is because they kind of let you do all the things. Yes. If you want to be, if you want to be good in melee, you want to be a bit of a skill monkey. You can you can do all that, and you can cast your spells. Like mm-hmm. you really, that's kind of what's fun about the Magus is you can have the best of all the worlds. It's right? the Gish. It's the it is the Gish. Mm-hmm. For those, for those who know what that means, yeah. What about those who don't know what that means? Why don't you explain the history of it real quick? Uh, from what I know, I actually have very limited history with this. Uh, Githyanki in uh, D&D 
had these uh, specific types of warriors called Gishes that could combine their martial prowess with magic in combat. Is that right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Sounds, yeah. sounds about right. And that, that word became kind of just a, a catch-all for anyone that is uh, kind of martial-focused but also has some spell casting. You know, you might end up being a type of person that only buffs yourself with magic and then goes into a fight, but that you're still a Gish. You might be someone who can swing your sword and then shoot a lightning bolt in that direction to hit the other guys, that's also a gish. But if you're combining magic and martial prowess in a role-playing game, probably one like D&D or originating from, from high fantasy like that, you're probably going to be called a gish. At least if you're someone that's been playing these games for, for a little while. Now, I don't think that there's a ton of Western examples of, of the magus, say, in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not always seeing someone swinging a sword and enchanting it at the same time. But I do think that a lot of Japanese pop culture has this. Like mm-hmm. a lot of anime characters are like really great fighters, but they also have some magic to them, right? Yeah. A lot of a lot of JRPG characters, like any of the Final Fantasy characters, right? Like sure. that's what they do. Uh, another video game character that comes to mind that does use magic, not necessarily in the same way as uh, the class would, but... Um, it still feels prominent is Link from the Legend of Zelda games. Link oh, yeah, that's ha- has a, good one. a number of magic items and magic spells that, that he can use. Um, and this is kind of straying from fantasy into more science fantasy. But uh, I think if you look at Star Wars, the, the Four Caesars, the Jedi and the Sith, oh, the are Jedi's. Yeah, perfect sure. examples of, of uh, um, Magus. Um, in terms of like the kind of things they can do. They're using force, which is effectively magic for the setting, uh, along with their martial prowess with lightsabers and, and the like. I think I'm going to ask you to back off a Link, though. Link yeah. can't be a magus. Why not? He doesn't cast spells. Sure he does, depending on which game you're in. But like, there's no game where like Link learns a spell through you know the art of studying magic and then can cast it on, on his own fruition. The, I remember that, like, the great fairies used to give him powers, mm-hmm. but that's different, you know? Like, I guess. I mean, if we're just looking at someone that can use magic and is good at fighting, Link counts. So if we're going specifically how the Magus is represented in, in Pathfinder, what they're, they're studying things like a wizard does and then also implementing their, their own combat prowess, then I guess you're right. I'm just saying you have to cast spells. I think that I think that's yeah. That's interesting. I do feel like you could do some Zelda builds though. Oh, maybe just straight up Zelda. Maybe mm-hmm. Zelda would be Amigus. She does have magic herself and uh depending on what game you're looking at, she also fights on her own. I know in Twilight Princess she had a sword. In Ocarina she transforms into Sheik and does a lot of combat stuff, so yeah. There you go. That's pretty neat. But what about Batman? <laughs> oh, Batman. Uh, this one's tough. Uh, there are some classes that I've been dreading <laughs> to do the Batman test. And I think Secrets of Magic is the book I've most been dreading for this. Uh, Batman, I've equated his spells to his gadgets in his, his um, utility belt and stuff. Uh, I think that's a fair equation. Th- that's that's about the closest he can get from Batman without using actual magic in, in the comic book settings. He's not like Zatanna or or Dr. Fate, uh, or anything like anyone like that that actually uses magic. But, you know, if you equate his, his um, 
his utility belt, all his gadgets to magic, then he's actually an amazing Magus. He's he's a perfect representation of a Magus because he's going out kicking butt uh, with just his physical prowess. He's punching and kicking dudes. And then he's doing things like throwing a batarang, throwing down smoke pellets, you know, things like that, which are his spells that he's using mid-combat to disorient his foes and, and get the jump on them and things like that. Yeah, I think Magus with the investigator background or archetype, yeah, that'd be, like, perfect. Mm-hmm. But how about for you, Lauren? Would you say a Magus and a Viking are alike in any way? You know, I think it's surface level like just from the top looking down you would think they're not and i would be inclined to disagree with you on that but we will have to step out of the realm of the historical viking right Mm -hmm. it won't be your norwegian vikings this will be your your land of of ice and fire vikings or something you know i think that when you when you look at vikings in a in a setting with magic these are the vikings who were descended from from like great deities or something right or or or, or, yeah that's that's what i think i think this is like i am the son of thor so i can i can have super strength and cast lightning spells Mm -hmm. you know i feel like that's where this fits in viking mythology is where the magus fits yeah and in pathfinder Magus has has a kind of unique origin in that it feels like it came about more from a mechanical sense than a particular fantasy that it was trying to fulfill. If you wanted to be someone who cast spells and you know fought in combat, you could already multi-class a wizard and a fighter, and maybe even take things like the Eldritch Knight Prestige class to get most of that. But I think there was a lot of people. There were a number of people that wanted to be able to do that right out of the gate you know right at level one without having to worry about okay i got to survive for a level as a wizard or anything like that um and that's where the magus kind of came from i feel i don't know the exact origins i wasn't around with paizo when that happened but that that feels like the obvious uh, origin for that and then you know Tui comes around and again you can't really do the full kind of strong spellcaster and strong uh combatant uh, fantasy uh, mechanically without uh, the Magus class coming about. You could do things like you know the Eldritch Trickster Rogue which gets something or you can be a, a champion uh, who gets some focus spells or, or things like that but Magus is definitely, it feels like it scratches more of a mechanical itch than it does a flavor itch. You know I'm glad you mentioned the Eldritch Knight from, from the older days because I really feel like this is just Eldritch Knight in a can isn't it? Yeah, if, if you go back to the core rulebook for 1E, uh, Celtiel, the iconic Magus, is actually the artwork used for the Eldritch Knight Prestige class, and he gets promoted to a full iconic when the Magus comes out in, in Ultimate Magic. That's some interesting Pathfinder trivia. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about what Magus means when you're trying to build a character. Sure thing. Your key ability scores are strength and dex to kind of emphasize that you're a marshal first and a spellcaster second. Even mm-hmm. if you are great at spellcasting, you're still primarily going to do your martial things. You get 8 plus your constitution modifier and hit points, so not bad, but not the fighter. Mm-hmm. You become trained in perception, and you start off with expert training in fortitude, trained proficiency in reflex, and expert in will. And you have 
uh, a small number of skills. You're trained in Arcana and then two plus your intelligence modifier with the assumption that your intelligence is going to be decent uh, based on the fact that you're going to be using that for spellcasting. Now, you're trained in simple weapons. You're trained in martial weapons. But I do want to draw your attention to, well, maybe not trained in unarmed attacks. That's not what I want to draw your attention to. I want to draw your attention to the fact that as Magus levels up, as they get expert proficiency in simple and martial weapons, they also get expert proficiency in unarmed attacks. Not not a ton of classes do that. And it's really interesting when you want to make a character that fights with claws or fights with, with a fist or you're a robot who fights with your robot laser. Mm-hmm. Magus is one of the interesting character or interesting classes that you can fall on to kind of keep that unarmed strike part of your build for longer, which I think is pretty interesting. And as for the rest, you're trained in your light armor, medium armor, and unarmored defense, and of course, trained in arcane spell attacks and arcane spell DCs. As an arcane spellcaster, you have a spellbook, you use intelligence as your spellcasting modifier, but you also have a unique uh, system for your, your spell slots. You start off with five cantrips and one first level spell, which is a little less than, than most casters. I think most start with two first level spells. And then as you level up, you get one more. Uh, and eventually, you're getting two spells per slot, or per, per level, excuse me. Two, so you'd have two first levels and two second levels. But there reaches a point where eventually the spell slots that you have kind of change. This is what's called the wave caster. Um, or bounded spell casting. Bounded spell casting. Um, in that once you reach a third level spell, you no longer have access to first level spells. Once you reach fourth level spells, you no longer have access to second level spells. At most, you only have a, a narrow band of two spell levels available to you. So by the end of it, you only have eighth and ninth level slots available to you, which is limiting the number of slots that you have per day. You always have five cantrips, and at most you have four spell slots, two of the highest level and two of the second highest level. There are other ways for you to get additional spells based on your feats and, and things like that, as well as focus spells, but what you prep from your spell book is severely limited. And this is why I say that as a magus, you're primarily a marshal and a spellcaster second, mm-hmm. because your spells are there to augment your martial abilities and not the other way around. What you can do, though, that, say, a fighter can't and that a wizard can't is for two actions you can make a spell strike where you take a spell that has an attack roll, something typically like a ray spell, right, because ray spells have attack rolls or Mm -hmm. one of the close-range spells like shock and grasp. You take a spell like that for two actions. You cast that spell and you swing your sword. If you hit with your sword, the spell goes off through the sword, and you get sword damage, you get spell damage, everybody's happy except the poor bugger on the other end. It's wonderful. Yeah, and because you're making a strike first and delivering your spell through your your weapon or your unarmed attack, your spell, you don't make a spell attack roll. You don't have to make a separate spell attack roll for your Ray of Frost or whatever. You you just make your, your sword strike. If that hits, then the the Ray of Frost hits. If that's a crit, the Ray of Frost is a crit too. It just It's all together, one nice little package as well. Only downside is of that cool thing is as soon as you've used Spell Strike, it goes on cooldown. It needs to be recharged. Uh, and you can't recharge your, your Spell Strike uh, 
automatically you have to either cast one of your your special focus spells uh, a conflict spell for for the magus uh, and when you cast a conflict spell it recharges your spell strike and you can use that again or you can spend one action to specifically concentrate to recharge it that means that you're not doing this every turn unless you're kind of just sitting in place and then recharging it uh, it takes a bit of effort to to keep your spell strike going uh, and a lot of effort to keep it going uh, every round if if that's possible for you and what this means when you're thinking about building a magus is you have to from from level one you have to be thinking about your action economy because mm-hmm. spell strike is incredible where you get a spell and a weapon strike in two actions that's that's great economy but then you have to be thinking about when can you afford to recharge it yeah uh, another thing with spell strike is the spell that you're casting can only be a one action or a two action spell no no big spells and cheating and, and cramming it into two actions you're not you're getting to combine two actions together you're not getting to uh get much more out of that beyond it though uh, and there's a lot of additional limitations you know if you have a reach weapon you're you can still deliver uh, a spell with your reach even if the spell would normally be like touch or something or if that's the, a cool one or if the spell has a much greater range um than that you're, you're still limited to how far your, your weapon can reach and, and things like that there's there's a number of, of limitations that you can read about that explain uh how it works there's just of course a lot of corner cases that i think they were trying to to cover um but the other big action that you can do uh, other than your spell strike is one called arcane cascade it's a special stance you can enter uh, if your most recent action was either a spell strike or casting a spell Uh, one action you enter this stance Um, i know the stance trait says something about hey your requirement you have to meet the requirements and once you don't meet the requirements you escape you you drop the stance i think the obvious uh intention is hey do uh, cast a spell, make a spell strike, enter the stance, and then you're kind of in that stance until you lo- lose it or, or intentionally drop it. But while you're in the stance, while you're in the arcane cascade stance, you deal additional damage with your strikes, your melee strikes. They normally deal one extra damage if you have weapon specialization that's extra two or an extra three damage with greater weapon specialization. And all your strikes that have that additional damage uh, are magical. So, you know, you can o- overcome resistances and, and things like that. Additionally, this extra damage... It has a varying damage type. It depends on what you cast with your your spell or your spell strike. Uh, if you cast a spell that could deal damage normally, does like fire damage or electricity damage or force damage, the, the bonus damage that you get from your stance is that damage type. Otherwise, it's based on the school of the spell that you cast them. So, Abjuration and evocation does force damage. Conjuration and transmutation does the same type as your weapons, so piercing or slashing. Divination, enchantment, or illusion are mental damage, or necromancy is negative damage. Effectively, you're looking to spell strike or cast a spell, enter the stance, and then stay in the stance as long as you can to get additional damage. But that's an extra consideration for all of your your action economy stuff that, that comes into play. And that's why I want to bring to your attention that the requirement is your most recent action was to cast a spell or make a spell strike. It doesn't say your most recent action this turn. So if you move and spell strike on turn one, you can start turn two with Arcade and Cascade. And that's one way you can kind of start getting your action economy under control. 
another thing you can do, uh, and this is suggested. Hey there, Luis here. I wanted to interrupt this episode real quick to comment on what Lauren just said. Lauren was suggesting that you could cast your spell end your turn if that was your last thing that you did last turn and then start your next turn by entering your arcane cascade stance because it would still meet the requirements and I get that idea unfortunately it does not work Logan Bonner lead designer of the Pathfinder 2e rule set actually went online to the how it's played YouTube channel and talked about this very thing he specifically notes that anything that happened last turn doesn't count towards your new turn for for qualifying for any requirements or anything like that for for specific action so you can't use uh, meta magic on one turn and then cast a spell the next turn and you can't do similarly things like what lauren just suggested i'm sorry we led you astray but i figured i'd keep that in the episode so i can call attention to the fact that that's not a thing you can actually do that's the official ruling from logan himself whether or not you do that in your own games, hey, go for it. I'm not going to stop you, but know that that's what's going to happen. And if you try to use that in organized play or something like that, know that that's what is going to be used as the official ruling. So you might need to play around a little bit more and learn with uh, Magus and, and determine exactly how you're going to make the most of the action economy. Anyway, let's get back to the rest of the episode. That's getting your action economy under control. Uh, another thing you can do, uh, and this is suggested in the, the little sidebar on that same page, it says combining your abilities, uh, is, is buff yourself up. One thing you can do on the first turn, it might be more exciting or more fun or, or, or maybe even more worth it depending, uh, to just run in and spell strike, but then you can't you know, immediately enter your arcane cascade. One thing you can do, though, is you can, for example, move, cast the shield spell, and then that shield spell meets your requirements for the stance, and then you can cast arcane cascade, and you are ready for the next turn. You can cast something like stone skin or any other buff on yourself, a true strike, whatever you want, um, and then enter arcane cascade and then still do uh, other stuff after that. Once you're in arcane cascade, you're kind of in that for the most part. The kind of assumption is that you'll probably won't drop the stance unless something goes wrong so spending your first turn of, of combat to get into that stance and probably get you an extra numerical buff or two uh, is probably really worth it the nice thing about the shield spell too is that then when you enter your arcane cascade you're going to be doing force damage which is the best type of damage right like yes. there's nothing better than the force damage one thing i do want to mention real quick while I'm talking about shield spell, because it's a cantrip. I don't know if we mentioned during the bounded spells and talking about the spell casting, but your cantrips are one that you're not going to lose. You're going to continue to have your five cantrips all the way from 1 to 20. And I think for a lot of times, these are going to be your be your bread and butter cantrips, right? Like These are going to be the ones that you're going to be casting with your spell strike the most often. Mm -hmm. Since you only have like four spells a day, right? You're going to be relying on these cantrips. Yeah. So I highly recommend getting one, if not two, spell attack roll spells. So Acid Splash, Ray of Frost, probably good ones. Uh, get some variety in there, in addition to things like, like Shield and, and Message or Prestidigitation or whatever. My two favorites are actually Gouging Claw and 
a telekinetic projectile just because I like like I like picturing it right I like picturing like you swing the sword but with telekinetic projectile you use like telekinesis to swing the sword even harder or something I don't know I think that sounds kind of cool mm-hmm. now for for most of the classes in Pathfinder 2nd edition there's a few different versions of the class that all play a little bit different they all inform the play style just to help you really tweak it to your like the Magus is no different. You have what's called hybrid studies, and you have five different ways that you can build the Magus based on these hybrid studies. Yeah, these hybrid studies represent your tr- particular martial training, the kind of thing you focused on. You might be focused on ranged attacks. You might be more focused on fighting with the staff, things like that. So the first hybrid study available to you is inexorable iron. This is the two-handed fighter. When you enter your arcane cascade stance, and at the start of each of your turns, if you're wielding a, uh, a weapon, sorry, each of your turns while you're in that stance, if you're wielding a weapon with two hands, you gain temporary hit points equal to half your level. So eventually, you know, you're, you're kind of keeping yourself going by, by just standing ready to fight with, with a big weapon. And you also get uh, a specific conflict spell, a focus spell called Thunderous Strike. Uh, the, the various conflict spells that you get from your hybrid studies uh, are all kind of intended to be your alternative thing when you're not doing a spell strike that turn. Each of them all cost one action and each of them also gives you the ability to strike. So you get a, a, a strike as part of your focus spell and then you get extra little stuff. So an extra rule iron I think creates a, a cone of sonic damage as you kind of make a big blast uh, to hit a bunch of guys. The next one is Laughing Shadow. This is kind of your kind of your trickster magus kind of your i'm a i'm a sneaky boy and i've got and i'm gonna magus you in the face where when you're in your arcane cascade stance you get a five foot bonus to all your speeds or if you're not wearing any armor you can have a 10 foot bonus to all your speeds if you're if you have a free hand open so you're only wielding like one weapon and it's not a two-handed weapon right then you can do extra damage to flat-footed creatures it's not sneak attack, but it's not not sneak attack either, mm-hmm. you know. The conflict spell that you get with Laughing Shadow is Dimensional Assault, where for one action, you can teleport at a range of half your speed. And then, at the end of that teleport, you make a melee strike against one creature. Pretty neat. Very mobile. Uh, Laughing Shadow is also kind of the de facto unarmed style as well because nothing else really seems to complement it too well uh sparkling charge is all about shields uh you gain the shield block feet so you can raise your shield and, and block attacks in addition uh while you're in your arcade cascade stance with your shield raise that ac bonus that you get from your shield also applies to your saves against spells uh also uh you can uh block magical damage with your shield. Normally shield block says you block physical damage, but you can block attacks from uh, spells that are coming at you. And you also have a, a slightly increased hardness uh, on your shield to help you better block those things. Uh, and that applies whether you're using a physical shield, you're using the shield spell, or something else that, that counts as a shield. And shielding strike lets you make a strike and also raise your shield as part of that. It combines your, your, two, little, your two actions into one. With Starlight Span, you're going to be throwing things or shooting things and empowering your spell strike with a ranged weapon like that. 
When you make your spell strike, it can be part of a ranged weapon or ranged unarm attack, which is fun for robot laser beams. Mm-hmm. As long as it's in within the first range increment. So you're not going to be like sniping somebody off like a huge tower unless like you just got like a really long range weapon or something. The conflict spell you get with Sparkling Star is Shooting Star. Shooting Star is really like firing a trace around at somebody. Mm-hmm. For one action, you can make a strike. If it hits, a meteor trail hangs in the air. And this <laughs> negates the benefit of concealment or cover on that target until the start of your next turn. So like you light them up, and then the rest of your team can kind of follow through with it. And finally, we have the Twisting Tree uh, hybrid study, which is all about fighting with a staff. I think a staff is an iconic spellcaster item. You know, Gandalf walked around with a staff and the like, and you know what? If you're a Magus, maybe you can fight with a staff. While you're wielding a staff in one hand, uh, you deal a d6 of damage, and it gains the agile trait. Uh, and if you wield it in two hands, it gains reach, it gains parry, and the trip traits, which is pretty cool. Uh, additionally, while you're in your arcade arcane cascade you can interact or release to change your grip uh, as a free action as part of a strike or at the end of your turn so you can switch between one-handed and two-handed as you need and its complex spell is called spinning staff you kind of spin your staff around and hit two targets uh, within reach uh, just with one action pretty cool nice little kind of flurry little thing that multiple attack penalty still applies but there you go as you level up as a magus, you're going to get your normal things like skill feats and general feats. Not a lot in here is all that special, but at level 7, you are going to add some extra spells to your spellbook based off the hybrid study that you picked. Yeah, Studio Spell gives you uh, additional spells, um, but it also gives you two extra spell slots. It gives you a, a, a set of second level spell slots, two second level spell slots, which are specifically there to prepare either spider climb, true strike, water breathing, or a force spell that is based on your uh, hybrid study. So for example, laughing shadow gives you mirror image, sparkling targe gives you resist energy, dark vision, and large magic mouth. Those are all different spells that you can cast uh, in addition to your normal spell slots. As you level up at 11th level, those become 3rd level spell slots, and you can also cast haste and additional spells. And at 13th level, they become 4th level spell slots, which gives you fly and additional spells. So you can effectively cast a handful of of various spells in addition to your normal spells with this this studious spell, which kind of shores up the... the, uh, the lack of spells that you have, but it's a very specific set. It's a lot of buffs and uh, utility spells rather than things that are something like a lightning bolt, for example. Yeah, but if you don't double prepare True Strike, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you need? And finally, at 19th level, we get Double Strike, where if you make a spell strike and you cast a spell from your spell slot, next time you make a spell strike, you can do it again with the same spell, and it doesn't cost you another spell slot. Which finally brings us to the best part, Luis. Yeah. The best part. This is my favorite. I lay on the couch, and I just make builds for days, and now we get (laughs) to make builds. 
I'm kind of cheating with mine. Uh, what, what, what did you bring to the table? I bought, bought, I brought uh, a very basic build, I think. Um, as is tradition, I am focusing on strength. When we have the options between strength and dex, I, I tend to choose strength. Hopefully you did end up choosing dex for your build. Uh, so as to not break this tradition. But anyway, I'm, I'm a, a strength-focused build. I'm going to be taking the Laughing Shadow uh, hybrid study. Laughing Shadow seems very fit for you know a roguish type of character. There's nothing saying that you can't use strength to get the extra bonus on Laughing Shadow. You just maybe won't have as big of a weapon. I don't really care. I want to be using Laughing Shadow because this bonus damage is pretty good. And the... the I like the spell that comes with it and the bonus to speed as well. But I'm going to focus on a weapon with trip, something like a Kopesh or a Temple Sword. Those are technically uncommon. If you don't want to use an uncommon weapon, you can get like a flail. Uh, but the, the trip property is really what I'm looking for here. If you can get other properties, flail has, I think, um, stuff for, for shoving as well. Great. Cool. We're strength. We're, we're strength focused. We're going to be pumping our athletics as much as we can in addition to this kind of stuff you can be a human or whatever uh, ancestry you want I'm gonna assume human but my first level feat is going to be uh, Magus's analysis which for one action you recall knowledge and if you succeed it recharges spell strike and gives you a plus one bonus uh, or sorry you recall knowledge. If you happen to have hit that creature this turn, you get a plus one bonus to your check to recall knowledge. And if you succeed, you recharge your spell strike. So rather than spending one action to just concentrate and recharge it or spending one of your focus points, this is getting you just a little bit more to do with that action. Uh, you also recall knowledge and learn about your, your target a little bit. You can only use it on a creature, a given creature once per day, but it's still helpful. Uh, you might also prefer to take a familiar at first level. If you're into familiars, go for it. My second level feat is going to be Spell Parry. Since we are only using a one-handed weapon, having an extra little bit of AC uh, with Spell Parry is kind of useful, especially yeah, if you want a thing for your third action. Spell Parry is cool. You can also cast Shield, but Spell Parry is fun. Uh, let's go with that. Fourth level, I am taking a second level feat. I'm going back and grabbing Expansive Spell Strike. Expansive Spell Strike lets you Spell Strike with more than just spell attack rolls. It can be any spell that can target a creature or that has a burst cone or line area. There's a couple of other qualifiers that come with it. You know, if it's a spell that wouldn't normally have an attack roll, that creature still has to save against it, so they might still require reflex save and stuff like that. If you really were interested in it, you could maybe build a rogue and then multi-class into Magus to get expansive spell strike. Uh, I would do it the other way around. No, the, the only reason I mention this is because uh, Rogue has a feint, a specific feint feat that when you succeed at feinting someone, it lowers their reflex save, which would be good with expansive spell strike. But that feint feat requires a specific Rogue racket. And you can't take a Rogue racket if you multi-class into Rogue. You have to be a Rogue proper to get the racket it's kind of a, a wonky way to to get a lower reflex save on your own you can always rely on your, your party members to lower saves and stuff and then have other cool spells you can throw i don't know if you're really into 
electric arc and you want that to be your cantrip of choice, great. That's what expensive spell strike is for, to let you use that kind of stuff. Uh, alternatively, if you don't want that, uh, you, the fourth level also has a specific laughing shadow hybrid uh, study feat called distracting spell strike. You go to make a spell strike and faint the target. So you faint right before you hit them with the strike and you know that makes their AC lower if you succeed. But you don't get any of the extra benefits that you might have with, with the faint action. It's just a, a core vanilla faint. No, no extra gimmicks with it. Sixth level, I'm taking attack of opportunity because, as I said, we're pumping athletics. And you know what's a good third action if you feel like you want to use your third action for some other stuff? Assurance with athletics to trip someone or shove them or disarm or, or things like that. That's such a fun trick. So tripping someone great now their ac is lowered if they don't get up then you can just wail on them and and have an easier time doing that if they do get up now you have an attack of opportunity to smack them in the face as they get up just do extra damage and your arcane cascade stand still applies and all that stuff so lots of cool stuff there uh eighth level i took capture magic which just says if someone casts a spell at you and they miss their spell attack roar or you save against it you can kind of power yourself up for a little bit um, your arcane cascade stance will either you will either enter your arcane cascade stance as part of the powering up, or if you are already in the stance, you gain an extra two damage with your stance. Um, so easy damage, just you know, don't fail your saves. And finally, at tenth level, I took the dimensional disappearance feat, which is again for laughing shadow. And it says when you cast your dimensional assault focus spell, you also gain the effects of invisibility. So you can choose to just cast invisibility as one action and teleport 15 feet. You don't have to make the strike if you don't want. If you do make the strike, obviously it pops your invisibility, but you're also technically hidden. So you get the benefits of being hidden and all that stuff. So it's pretty good for getting around, escaping things, or just really messing with people. Very basic build. Go in, enter your stance, knock people around, knock them down, and just blow things up in a free archetype game you would definitely pick up the rogue dedication wouldn't you rogue yeah spell uh or the sneak attack might be useful or i don't know i might take something no i would take i would take spell trickster i think is what i would take Ooh, we know that's good too. Uh, to to improve my or to give me more versatility with with my spells yeah that's a good one too so i kind of cheated with my build in that I'm violating my rule where I don't put Vikings down in these builds. That's what the Viking test is for. I'm mm -hmm. violating that rule. I'm putting a Viking down here. And not only that, this isn't just any Viking. I'm putting in my favorite character. The, the one that I made this character like three or four years ago in Pathfinder 1st Edition as, as a spell rager, actually. A blood rager? A blood rager, yeah, as a blood mm -hmm. rager. Uh... I got to play one game of Pathfinder Society with her, and then I got invited to do a 5th edition game with some of my friends, and I had to remake her in 5th edition as a paladin. And, you know, it's fine. It's 5th edition. 2nd mm -hmm. edition finally came out, and for the longest time, I've been trying to figure out how I would remake this character, and I couldn't do it until the Magus came out. Finally, I can remake my favorite character in Pathfinder 2nd edition. Her name is Seafrun Freestatir. She is a Valkyrie-blooded Viking warrior priestess. 
So she descends from this long line of the Freestatir. All of the women born of this family are given the family name Freestatir. All the sons are given the name uh, after their father, as is tradition. Mm-hmm. And and all of these women, they all have the blood of Valkyries in them. And they serve as generals or they serve as advisors or, or council members, but they never serve as the leader. It's just not their role. And Seafrun is the latest in this long line of Freestatir. She's a human magus. Uh, her background is noble because it's kind of a noble family that she comes from. For heritage, I have to take Ganzi. Even though I don't like Ganzi, I don't think it's a great fit. But Ganzi gives me access to like Valkyrie-themed feats later in the in the in the build. So mm-hmm. I have to take Ganzi. I'm d- using natural ambition from humans to get a familiar because the Freestatir are known for their ravens. When they when they do when they perform some great heroic feat or finish a great quest, it is a sign from Freya herself that that the Freestatir is worth her familial name when she is gifted a raven from Freya. And so at f- at first level, I'm doing it. Just because it fits in at first level a little bit better, uh, so I'm getting I'm, I'm getting a raven. His name is Roman, and this mm-hmm. is going to be the sparkling targ hybrid study because Seifrun carries the sword and the shield of her mother, so her shield's going to be imbued with a little bit of magic to make it a little bit better. At second level, I'm 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 doing what I have to do. This is a build that works best in free art type. Without free archetype, I have to spend most of my feats on something else. So my second level's champion dedication, so I can wear the heavy armor that she wears. She's a liberator champion. At fourth level, I'm getting champion resiliency for more hit points. At sixth level, I'm getting champion's reaction so that I can protect people because it's it's kind of a meme how often Seafood would tell people, get behind me, because she is just all about protecting people. It was like her main thing. At 7th level, I can take Ancestral Paragon and get Irrepressible. What did I take for level 3? Oh, that was Toughness. Yeah, at 7th level, I can get a Ganzi feat that gives me a critical success when I succeed against Emotion or Fear, which is great. At 8th level, I can take Divine Ally from the champion, get Divine Ally Blade, so that now Mom's Sword and Shield are both like really awesome because they're supposed to be her mom was a famous general before she was killed in war you know this should be really good ninth level i can get one of the valkyrie themed things glory and valor which is really cool with glory and valor you spend one action to scream out you know some type of really cool battle cry and for one minute or until you critically fail a strike so don't roll in that ones every time you hit or for the first time that you hit each round, you regain hit points. So it kind of makes you even tankier. Really cool. Really cool thing. And at 10th level, I'm picking my second <laughs> Magus feat. I'm getting Cascading Ray. Because the way the Valkyrie power in Sifun works is it manifests itself as control over lightning. So all of the spells I'm getting from Magus are, are based around lightning. It's going to be a lot of shocking grasp, might even be some some electric arc, lightning bolt, all the different lightning things I'm picking up and I'm taking. And with Cascading Ray at 10th level, what this means is that if I hit it with a spell strike, 
I can use my last action to kind of turn some of that latent energy into a ray that hits somebody else. So really, cinematically speaking, Seafrune hits someone with the sword, charges it with lightning, and a lightning bolt bursts through one baddie and into another. I think it's pretty cool. And because of Secrets of Magic, I can finally play my favorite character in 2nd Edition. I don't know when I'm going to get the chance to, but I hope it happens. <laughs> uh, does she use strength or, or dexterity as her? She's strength. Strength. Oh, she's we didn't a, have a dexterity build. She's a big strapping Nord woman. Uh, dexterity build. Uh, quick rundown. Hey, take the uh, uh, starlight span uh, and you know shoot stuff with your bow and be ranged spell strike. Cool, fun, have fun, great. <laughs> There's a lot of ways you can do you can do a dex build. I don't mm-hmm. I don't see any reason why anything that you can come up with wouldn't work well. Yeah. So that brings us to my next favorite part of these episodes is answering questions from our listeners. Our first question is from pat- one of our patrons, Relkin. What's your ideal action routine for dealing with getting into Cascade and Spell Strike Recharge? Really, this is just a question about the action economy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you juggle the action economy? Yeah, and I think I, I mentioned earlier, buff up in the first round, or you know, even doing something as basic as casting. Um, yeah, you could cast telekinetic projectiles your first thing, and then enter arcade cascade stance. Um, it won't be as sexy and exciting as doing a spell strike, but once you're in the stance, you're kind of good. And as for recharging it, you can uh, make use of your focus spells to to do that. Your complex spells. Uh, I recognize that you only have so many focus points per per encounter before you run out on those. So another thing I recommend is doing something like grabbing that um, uh, analysis feat to give you something else to do. Uh, Otherwise, you're just going to have to live with the fact that sometimes you just have to spend your third action on the concentrate action to to focus and and get your your recharge back. So something like doing a, a normal strike, doing something like a trip, or, or moving away or anything and then charging that up is a thing you have to do and it also kind of varies from combat to combat but I think don't be afraid to buff up in that first round before waiting in and don't be afraid to just kind of sometimes do the boring spend one action to recharge I mean folks do ask what do I do with my third action and there it is that's what you do you recharge mm. your spell strike Magus have a built in answer and if you don't have to move to do your spell strike for example if it's a target that just is staying in place you can spell strike and immediately recharge that same round and have it ready for next round or if you are starlet span uh, magus doing ranged attacks you probably don't even have to move in a number of cases so you can just shoot your 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 ranged weapon recharge and have it ready to go for the next round as well from from patron severin lorat would there be any standout issues for letting players trade out the spell list of the Magus? And what would the flavor change even look like with different spell lists? I think the first thing that immediately comes to mind is the fact that not every spell list has attack roll cantrips. 
at least not ones that I don't think everyone has telekinetic projectile, for example. Um, I know the, the divine spell list has some difficulties with, with attacks, uh, just offensive cantrips, which is kind of the, like we said, bread and butter uh, of spell strike. So you might have to let someone get an extra cantrip, a, a very specialized cantrip, uh, like acid splash or, or something. If they don't have one of those already, you don't want to deny a spell attack roll cantrip to uh, a Magus player. It'd be cool to, to swap out spell lists. Everything else, I think, is for the most part fine, but that's the, the one thing that you should really be wary of. As for the flavor, I mean, you can just kind of be like a champion if you're a divine. You know, you're just more focused on combat. Um, I, I think having, you know, we have an arcane knight, now you can have a divine knight and a primal knight and a cult knight. Um, I think that, that kind of lends itself to interesting ideas. Maybe your your magical power came from um, a weird occult patron, warlock, witch style, uh, if you're an occult magus, or you've been tasked to be a defender of the natural world, and that's where you gain your powers, more so than, than a druid, right? Druids are, are there to be kind of keeping balance, but you're just an active fighter you're a soldier in the war against eco-terrorism exactly uh so yeah i think that that's already kind of an interesting hook if you were to swap things around i'm looking at at the the problem child is the divine spell list yeah but i'm looking at it and you have divine lance so Mm -hmm. you can try to make that work as spell strike i think you would have to go for expansive spell strike though so you can do stuff like chill touch or days, days would be interesting to throw through a spell strike, but yeah, divine is definitely going to struggle a little bit. I I would just in that case, you know, you're already changing things as it is. I would just throw telekinetic projectile, or something like that, onto the divine spell list as a cantrip, just to save a lot of headaches. Yeah. From user Brian Lane, I sometimes hear new players say that they want to play a magus but take utility spells. What's the most diplomatic way for me to respond? I think uh, you express to them that, you know, hey, spell strike can't use those, and spell strike is like your your thing. You're gonna miss out on on a lot of stuff if you don't use your spell strike. And pointing at uh, things like your your studious spell class feature later on, which does give you a number of utility spells, kind of suggests that you know your your very precious spell slots are meant for offensive stuff. Uh, let's see. I think that I would recommend a few different things to them if they mm-hmm. just have their hearts set on this. And I don't even blame them. Like, you want to play Magus because it's really cool. It's, it's, you're like a wizard except you can actually fight, right? I get it. Mm-hmm. You can, you can use scrolls. <laughs> Yeah. If if you take the the scroll dedication, what is it? Scroll master, scroll savant. Mm-hmm. If you take that, you can be good at scrolls. That and there's help. there's also the striker striker's scroll feat, which lets you do spell strike with your scrolls. So yeah, that's another way to handle it. Mm-hmm. You could also just say, hey, the diplomatic thing to say might be, hey, if you're really wanting the the awesome versatility of all these different utility spells. You might want to play a wizard. Mm-hmm. You might just you might just recommend that to him. I don't know. 
So we have here a question from a member of the No Direction Network, Rob Pontius, who asks, what are your favorite archetypes, multi-class or otherwise, to put on Omegas, especially with the free archetype rules? Gunslinger. <laughs> All day. All day. Gunslinger is so much fun. So much fun. Uh, what else? You, you, you name one while I'm thinking about it. I might come up with well, another one. I mentioned it earlier, but I think most spellcasters can get a lot out of spell trickster uh, just giving you extra things you can do with your your feats that's always or not with your with your spells you can pick a couple of specific spells you really like and really give them a lot of versatility i think this is honestly my favorite thing about pathfinder second edition is that archetypes are so accessible and they just expand on your character so well i there are it is hard to find an archetype or to think of an archetype that wouldn't work well with the Magus. That's not necessarily the other way around, though, because I think the Magus archetype stinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it does take a lot of work to get Spell Strike and some of the other cool features from mm-hmm. the, the multi-class archetype. Um, yeah, I, I think they're, uh, the, the five hybrid studies also kind of complement or lean, lead themselves to What's the word I want? They they each kind of hearken to other to other archetypes, right? Yeah, there there's things like the Bastion archetype for sparkling tar, so you can do more stuff with your shield, um, and, and things like that. Um, I think something like Mauler. the Archer, arc, mm-hmm, or Archer archetype for Starlet Span. Yeah, there, there's there's a, a fair amount out there that you can use to kind of complement your your particular fighting style or give you an extra like new thing you can do an extra niche that you didn't already cover yeah our last question from patron dom what's your favorite magus hybrid study i think i would go with laughing shadow Uh, i know laughing shadow was kind of the one to take in the play test and it, it looks like it's changed a bit at least from what i remember but it's still to me the both the easiest one to run right you just add an extra damage no problem there and also gets the coolest spell with it it's you know just a very solid no nonsense study i'm gonna start by telling you something you didn't even ask my least favorite one mm-hmm. is the one that i picked for my favorite character sparkling Tarek. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I think using a shield as a magus is really difficult on your action economy, because you want to use that action to raise the shield, that reaction to block, and you often just don't have it. There is there is uh, a magus feat that sparkling targ gets called emergency targ, where you can, as a reaction, pull your shield up, and you get the AC bonus, but like you still can't block with that and like part of having a shield is blocking like that's a big part of the shield right mm-hmm. uh but no i do think that my favorite is probably starlet span just because i really like i really like ranged builds i love them i just love them they're delicious and much as Amagus has to recharge after a spell strike we must retire for now until we recharge and give you another legend lore next time because that's all we have for you today. Make sure to check out the rest of our content on the No Direction Network. Because if you like this show or any of our other blogs or shows, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash no direction. Because it's the support of our patrons that make this all possible. Until next time, I'm Luis. And I'm Lauren. Thanks for listening to Legend Lore. And as always, it's been legendary. <laughs>